is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full-Time Travel, and every other Thursday, I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest this week is Gabby Beckford, the Gen Z travel opportunity expert behind Pax Light, a content brand designed to empower others to seek risk, seize opportunity, skip debt, and see the world ASAP. Although Gabby was raised in a family of travelers, it was her first solo trip, a backpacking trip through Iceland, which she took right before starting college, that solidified her aspirations to see as much of the world as possible. Gabby is now a TEDx speaker and a travel expert whose work has been published in Travel and Leisure, National Geographic, Lonely Planet, and Huffington Post. In this episode, Gabby shares the highs and lows of her experience in Iceland and how even the terrible parts were instrumental to her personal development. Plus, how she used scholarships, grants, and contests to travel the world while at college, the transformative effects of solo travel, and how to cultivate a why not me mindset and go after what you want in life. This episode is sponsored by Los Cabos, the Mexican destination where you can have it all and more. I usually like to start by asking, where did your love of travel originate? Uh, This is a great question. I feel like in my life, it was never a question of whether I would like travel or not, because travel Mm. was always so imbued into it. My mom, when I was born, she was a travel agent of maybe 20 years. And my dad was in the military and he traveled a lot for his job. So both of them ended up being in the military and in travel agents for close to 25 years. So, I mean, they were no stranger taking us to the airports. And I remember them having games where they would give us our tickets and make us figure out, me and my sister, what our gate was and how we would get there and things like that. So I don't know. Travel has always been in my life. And didn't you also live in Japan at one point? Exactly. Yeah. So my dad was in the Marine Corps. And when I was six years old, we moved to Okinawa, Japan and stayed there for three years. And yeah, my stepmother is actually Japanese. So uh, my little sisters are Jamaican Japanese, and we still have a bunch of Japanese culture that surrounds me every day. Actually, the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C. is coming up. Yes. Yeah, they'll be performing in it, doing like a traditional Okinawan dance. And I did that when I was younger. So that's so cool. (laughs) Six years old is is still young, but definitely old enough to be forming memories and to really be absorbing everything that's going on around you. Do you have any memories from that age when you were in Japan? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Those were formative years of my life. I remember that we lived on a military base that was just, I mean, across the street from the beach. So after school, me and my sister would walk across the street and go to, I think it was called Shipwreck Park and like play on this like playground that was an abandoned shipwreck. And we made all these local friends. There was a local mall across the street too called Jusco and we would run through it and like buy all of our favorite Japanese candies and I mean we learned Japanese language and culture in our schools and everything like that like yeah definitely formative years. How old were you when you moved back to the states? I was 10 years old when I moved back to the states and we uh, I always give my dad a hard time about that, but we went from, I was born in California. We moved around the U.S., moved to Japan. And then when we came back to the U.S., he was like, you know where we should go? Stafford, Virginia, the smallest, <laughs> most like small town town ever. I'm like, why? <laughs> that must have been a transition for you. How did you feel? It definitely was. And um, that town specifically, it's in Virginia where he still lives now, but he lives closer to DC. It was at the time in 2005, I think when we moved back, it was definitely not as developed as it is now too. So, I mean, it was a little like, I don't know if you know what like redneck means, but country and most people there had not traveled and yeah, it was definitely a different mindset. So I struggled a lot. It was not a very diverse community. I didn't know if I just never really related to a lot of people who went to my school. Like I definitely felt like not outcasted, but that I was just meant for a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I completely understand that. And then obviously after high school, you had college on your mind. 
it's weird because like you know that's such an interesting transition when you go from high school because I feel like you know for anybody <laughs> going through adolescence is tough but then you're entering adulthood and you're getting prepared for this huge transition moving to college and most people spend that summer you know really reflecting on who they want to be and where they want to go and what they want to achieve what did you do during that summer that's exactly right i was leaving high school from that small town in virginia and i had applied to a lot of colleges around the country i had gotten accepted into one in california and one in hawaii and i had big dreams of doing that but when it came down to the money I got a scholarship, a really great scholarship to a university that had the program I wanted to do that was just an hour away from my house in Virginia. So I had to struggle and be like, do I want the quote unquote adventure with the debt or do I want to do the safe thing an hour away? Um, And I ultimately chose to do the financially secure thing and go an hour away. But so that summer after I made that decision, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like I was spiraling. I was like, I need an adventure. I need something that can really shift my like kind of stagnant mindset and really set me up to become the person I wanted to be in college and not kind of kind of stay in this what else is out there like I'm meant for more what could I be doing type mindset that I was in Mm, totally and you decided to go to Iceland I like to call these trips the palate cleanser trips because it's it's like between two phases of life you know but this was your first time traveling solo What were your thoughts about that? Had you ever seen yourself as a solo traveler before? You know, the truth is at 17, it was not a really well thought out trip. I did not put that much reflection into it. I just instinctually kind of impulsively was like, I need a palate cleanser, like you said. And I stumbled upon that opportunity. And that's like a big trend in my life is, I don't know if I'd call it manifesting, but really like having this feeling that I should be doing something and opening myself up to the opportunities and then like them finding me. Um, So I was like, I need a trip. I need a palate cleanser. Like maybe I'll go become a rafting guide in the mountains for the summer. Maybe I'll find a way to go to Japan again. And I stumbled across this trip to Iceland to go backpacking. And I found it and I was like, that sounds right. That just, that looks like what I should be doing. So yeah, I booked it without, honestly, without doing much research at all, because it just felt right. And yeah, the adventure definitely ensued after that, because (laughs) it was wild. (laughs) And it was it was with like a tour group, right? a small group. So you'd be traveling with other people. Yeah, so I had been accepted to that university, um, an hour away in Richmond, Virginia, and I had just gotten the letter in the mail that I had been accepted. I had had not done anything more than that. And honestly, I had never even visited that university. But I started looking on their website and I saw that for the first time they were hosting an international trip for their students. They would meet with you in Iceland and you would meet with like, I don't know, faculty and alumni and current students and yeah, like that to go backpacking. So I called them and said, hey, technically I'm a student now, right? Even though I had literally never stepped foot on the university property. And they said, yeah, I mean, technically, I guess, but everyone else on this trip is going to be like 25 and you're 17. And I said, okay, that's fine. And so (laughs) I organized it through them and ended up being maybe 10 people who had some affiliation with the university backpacking through Iceland. Do you think that's a better way to ease into solo travel? Because I think for a lot of people who are curious about solo travel, it feels really intimidating to do the whole thing on your own. Whereas if you're joining a group tour, you still get a lot of those same experiences but without it feeling quite so intimidating. A hundred percent. When I talk to my followers or people who ask me for advice for their first solo trip, I always say, I, I suggest like two options. Number one, something like I did, which I call solo, not solo, where you don't have any friends that you know of and you're like, this is a new environment for you. And it's still a solo trip because you're not traveling with someone you know, like your family or friends. So definitely doing a group trip where you're solo in it is a great idea or going somewhere solo and then staying in one place, like not putting too much burden on yourself to figure out transportation and navigation and all this stuff. Like, so maybe going to an all-inclusive if that interests you or going to a small town and just kind of staying there for a short period of time by yourself can definitely take away the the shock value or the, the intimidation of going solo your first time. Hmm. And so somebody else was organizing the itinerary And you spent the first week in Reykjavik. How did that place compare to others you visited, other cities? 
Yeah, Reykjavik, I had never been to, I think, a European city as an adult. My parents had taken us around France and Switzerland when I was younger, but being an adult going to Europe and especially going to Iceland, which at the time was in 2013, those wow air flight yes. deals and like super cheap, everyone should go deals, they did not exist yet. So it was still kind of not uncharted territory, but it was not as popular as it is now. So looking for blogs or looking for YouTube videos, there were none. So I went to Reykjavik and it was beautiful. It was August. And so I thought it would be super warm. It was not. It's called Iceland for a reason, I guess. And it was gorgeous, lots of history, interesting food and like very architectural city. Yeah, it felt like a different universe for me, for sure, compared to like New York City, which I see as very metropolitan, fast moving, kind of grungy, or let's say Los Angeles, which is sunny and everyone's like kind of like movie, Hollywood movie, right? Iceland was very structured and silver and architectural and yeah, gorgeous. Uh, not as diverse population wise. Uh, so I was definitely felt like a an outlier, a, a sore, stuck out like a sore thumb, especially because I was young and solo and a woman of color and alone. People were like, are you lost? Like, do you need help? <laughs> Literally, like, are you lost? I'm like, no, no, it's fine. And uh, meanwhile, on the inside, I'm like, am I lost? Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was my my first shock. Yeah, I was surprised by Reykjavik. I kind of thought it was more cosmopolitan than I thought it was going to be. And there are some really oh, yeah. amazing restaurants, but the food is pretty, they have some, you know, that sometimes they eat whale, like there are some interesting <laughs> cuisine choices. And I know that You've talked about being a bit of a picky eater. So how did you navigate that? Yes, at the time, at that time specifically, I was what I consider a picky eater just because I don't think I had been exposed to that much food, which sounds odd because I traveled with my family and lived in Japan and stuff. But my diet was pretty much simple. I mean, I still like ate cereal for breakfast and um, I eat Japanese food, but it's still just one cuisine. So like you said, when I went to Iceland and first of all, super expensive at the time and now. So I was not out there eating five-star restaurants. So I did try their fermented shark. That was a shock. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when in Rome. So I knew <laughs> I wanted to try things like that, but oh my gosh, for my inexperienced palate, maybe that's the best way. It was, it was wild, but I ate a lot of salads and I ate a lot of, or no, I did not eat a lot of salads. Actually, that's the opposite. Salads were super expensive because they had to import the yes, food, they the can't fresh grow produce, any veggies there because of the weather. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So I thought I would eat a lot of salad, so I ordered a salad, and it was like twenty six American dollars, <laughs> and I was like, oh god. I was like, uh, okay. So I ate a lot of soup, and um, I ate a lot of hostel food, like groceries. So omelets. That's the first time I had an omelet that had more than like four ingredients in it. I just packed in everything I could find in the fridge like sausage and cheese and onions and any leftover vegetables, like broccoli and put it in there. And yeah, that trip definitely expanded my palate out of necessity, especially when we were on the backpacking trip and they're like, okay, chili and beans for dinner. And I was like, I don't like chili and beans. And the option was either the chili and beans or starve. So I got over a few of my predilections. <laughs> Let's talk about the backpacking portion because it was several days, right? And you're going through this extremely rugged terrain probably pretty harsh weather it doesn't like you said it doesn't matter if it's the summer <laughs> you still get some crazy yeah. weather in Iceland how prepared were you for that part of the trip I was so overwhelmingly underprepared like I don't know how I I to this day I'm shocked at how underprepared I was like I said I booked this trip on vibes alone and did not google any of the things that I should have I it was colder than I thought it was rougher terrain than I thought. The hike was more advanced than I thought. And afterwards I Googled it and it said the Lagavegger, which is the trail we did for four days, um, that trail is moderate to advanced and they recommend training for it before you do it. And I was like, oh God, I did not train. Girl, I <laughs> I was in high school. I was like, I'm pretty fit. You know, I can, I can, I used to, I ran track in high school. So I'm like generally fit. No, absolutely not. I was at the beginning. I have this photo I love to share at the beginning I'm in the front of the pack and I have take the selfie with everyone everyone's all smiles and then the picture on the last day of the trip where I am absolutely I don't think I had any <laughs> other smiling pictures on the trip like I did not smile once for a photo for this the trip because I was run ragged heavy breathing like frostbitten nose and ears like I was it was rough <laughs> oh, I think I saw you tweeted that 
<laughs> yeah, the contrast of like expectations versus reality. <laughs> yes. So what what was the actual plan for that portion of the trip? Do you remember what um, the route was that you took? Yeah, so it was four days and we started in a place called Pork Smork, I think. And so you take you go to Reykjavik and you take a bus four or five hours into the outback, like into the wilderness, I guess. But there's no trees, so it's just like land. And then you get out and you backpack. So you do maybe, I think, 15 kilometers or 20 kilometers a day. And it's through hot desert where it's so hot I had to take off my jacket it's through like wind tunnels chilling wind tunnels uh where we had to set up our tents and they kept blowing away you go through like the dragon's teeth which is volcanic rock shards on the ground and you sleep between these like dragon teeth rocks and then there were rivers we had to traverse through huge icy rivers where we had to take off our shoes and hold them in frozen and you it does nothing like dries out because it's freezing cold so you had to just put your wet sock back on and keep walking and yeah, it was absolutely wild. And we slept in tents. We didn't sleep in any cabins or anything along the way. And it was the real, the real deal. That does sound advanced. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I feel like though some of my, like, I don't want to say least enjoyable, because I feel like it probably was enjoyable for you. But let's just say like most challenging travel moments produced the best stories and ultimately also impacted who I've become because they're these big learning experiences. So is there like a toughest moment that you can recall and what did you learn from it? Absolutely. I think the third day, knowing that the next day would be the last day. So I had to finish the third day and then go the next day and then hike and it would be finished at the end of the next day. That moment was like the middle of the trip was a definitely a, ref, a moment of reflection for me. I remember having my journal and being like, what am I doing here? Like, who did I think I was? What? <laughs> look at look at yourself right now. Like, you're surrounded by these kind of older people that you don't know, and you're the only woman of color. You've never trained for this. Like, you suddenly think you're an outdoorsy girl. Like, you're miserable right now. And yeah, I definitely had a moment where I was like, this is the last place on earth I ever thought I would be. But like you said, in those moments, it was shocking how much... I was growing and absolutely was miserable and was the happiest I had ever been at the same time. Those miserable moments where I was like, who do you think you are? Like, this is not who you are. Those, that was when I was like, who do you think you are? This is not who you are. This is awesome. Like, look who you can be. Look what you're capable of. Look at how far you've come. And you definitely are going to finish it because you're not, you're not going to die in the outback. So you're, you're going to finish the, the trek. Like, you're accomplishing great things that you never could have imagined you would be doing. And you're doing it, like, at this age. And you're doing it before college. And Yeah. So at those most challenging moments, I was also the happiest I had been in a long time. And I talk about how... Stafford was such a small town and I didn't relate to anyone. I was like, look at yourself. These are the people that you want to relate to. And this is the person who you want to be. And these are the challenges that you want to be able to say are not challenges once you do them enough. So I was actively becoming the person I wanted to be. And it wasn't cute, but <laughs> it was <laughs> it was gratifying. And I definitely at the end of the trip, as I crawled into like the cafe that we waited for the bus at, I was like, I would definitely do this again after a massage or two uh so <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good mindset when I was reading about this experience the thing that really got me was that you did you didn't bring a sleeping bag is that right oh yeah <laughs> no I'm telling you when I say I was unprepared it was like embarrassing like woefully like the basics were not thought of uh I had I assumed that because I think someone else was carrying our tent because we would share tents I somehow assumed that the sleeping bags were combined or like someone else was carrying them and I swear it was there's a moment at the beginning of the trip where everyone's like all right like take your time like lift with your legs make sure that you you know like walk right so you don't get sore halfway through and I, I remember saying out loud like this pack is not even heavy like what are you guys talking about this is so light and that moment came to haunt me when everyone was unpacking and like all right sleeping bags out and everyone at, like in unison like in a movie pulled out their sleeping bags from theirs from their backpacks and I stood there like yeah let me just pull mine out really fast um <laughs> oh my god and so I asked this girl who I started to become friends with uh I was like so 
I don't have a sleeping bag. And she and like we like are huddled in a corner and she's like, Why did you have what do you mean you don't have a sleeping bag? And I'm like, I don't have one. She's like, Okay, you can share mine with me. So for the entire four days, we were back to back sausaged into her sleeping bag. And it doesn't get nighttime. It doesn't the sun doesn't go down in Iceland in the summertime, which I also did not Google. So at three AM I'm back to back with this girl I met yesterday uh sausage into her sleeping bag and i couldn't roll over you can't there's no moving so i'm like it was one of those movements where it's like hi my name's gabby you're probably wondering how i got here <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i mean that girl she she really a hero for you. yeah a true hero truly obviously you're now a huge advocate for solo travel especially for young women why do you think solo travel is so transformative I am. And I think that I love recommending solo travel to young women in particular, because I had such an empowering experience from it that has like changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I think if in general, I support women doing things that invite them to experience like what true autonomy is and teach them financial security and like push their own limits and build their own confidence and empower them to have more confidence in themselves in their like mental abilities and their physical abilities like I love all that stuff and I think that travel and especially a solo trip is just it invites you and kind of pushes you to do all those things at once in one experience so yeah I could build my confidence if I learned to like I don't know wood carve I guess but I could just do that in so much more if I went on a solo trip absolutely I feel like it probably also must have prepared you for going to college because doing these kinds of solo trips you're forced to you know problem solve without there being anybody else to hold your hand you can hone your small talk and get used to bonding with people from all walks of life do you think that that's true do you feel like the experience did prepare you for your next step and and going to higher education Oh, no, that's exactly it. What you said, those small things like problem solving, like, I mean, literally, like I said, I did not visit the campus until I moved into my dorm, which I don't know why I'm like that. But (laughs) I, (laughs) I don't know, but I arrived and I was like, where is the visitor center? And as a person who's traveled before, I'm like, okay, I know I can figure it out. But that solo trip made me realize, okay, I can ask for help if I need to. I can just walk into any any building and talk to the first person I see, a student or a faculty member, and ask them where things are. And they should know without feeling like I'm bothering someone or without feeling like I've, uh, it's embarrassing that I don't know these things. Like I definitely had confidence from that solo trip to be like, people around you are generally nice people. Shout out to the girl who shared her sleeping bag with me for a week and did not know me. Um, (laughs) And they want to help you only if you, but they only know to help you if you ask. So like you said, navigating, um, making new friends with people from just many different backgrounds in many different places around the country, advocating for myself. Literally, if I didn't get a grade I thought I deserved in high school, I would just say like this, that is what it is. That's unfortunate. Like that sucks. But in college, I swear after that trip, I would not be afraid to go up to a professor and ask them why I got this grade. And either I could like argue my case or they would say, uh, you know what, you should come to office hours and like, we'll improve that grade for next time. And just like, just connecting with more people and feeling like I deserve, I mean, the best that I want to work for, it changed my entire life. I'm so impressed with you. Like I, I'm just definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely like an, an anxious person, which means that I usually over prepare for everything. I'm very early. And I think that's my way of trying to assert control over situations. Yeah. So I kind of love that you just plunge right in. I feel like you have an innate confidence that a lot of people would struggle to find, you know, to cultivate. People try and cultivate this kind of self-confidence their whole lives. Do you think that's something that was natural for you or have you worked on that over the years that's such a good question and I get asked this a lot like people are just like very abstractly how can I feel like you or kind of Mm. yeah have that mindset and I credit a lot of it to my parents I don't think I have any memories of my parents ever telling me that I couldn't do something whether and I I mean like I said I I'd be kind of impulsive so I like there was a point where I did wrestling in middle school I did horseback riding um, I've done crazy stuff and my parents have even if they thought it was a bad idea even my solo trip my first solo trip they 
express their worries. They encouraged me to do certain things and like research and, you know, contact them every few days if I can, but they never told me I couldn't or shouldn't do something. And I think that really helped me growing up say like, maybe I won't be able to do everything. Maybe I won't be very good at everything, but I can do it if I want to. And I, I don't know, I think part of that maybe is just who I am as a person. I just maybe and maybe it has to do with traveling as a young person. I just know that there's so much in this world. And I have learned that there's so much that I don't know that I don't know. And there's so much opportunity. And it just kind of has developed this why not me mindset in life. Like, why not me? Really? There's 7 billion people in the world. And there's so many different programs and scholarships and experiences out there. And like, there you're telling me there's not some stuff for me there has to be so yeah I think it just life has made me into that type of person and I definitely think it's a skill that you can learn to feel that empowerment and confidence and that's a hundred percent what my brand and what Paxlight is all about relax your mind body and spirit in naturally open spaces or set off in search of fast-paced adventures in Los Cabos you can have it all and more luxury villas just steps from the beach luxurious, all-inclusive resorts that look out over emerald green golf courses and endless views of the crystal clear Sea of Cortez are just the beginning. Find a special offer and get more out of your getaway at visitloscabos.travel forward slash featured dash offers. That's visitloscabos.travel forward slash featured dash offers. I'd love to talk a bit more about the why not me mindset, because I know you also you got a scholarship for college and that was kind of the first scholarship that you got and would go on to kind of form a lot of the person that you are today. How did that opportunity come about? Yes, I love this story because it really ties into this Iceland trip where everything went wrong. I was in that same summer, right? So I had just graduated high school and I had started applying for college scholarships my last year of high school, just ones that my dad would send me or ones that the school would recommend we apply to general, like you live in Virginia, you go to this high school type scholarships. So I had applied to one and that right after I graduated, there was no award ceremony for it telling 10 people that we had won it. And so I went to the award ceremony. I wore like, I actually had a cast on. So I'm wearing like a suit and a cast and I'm walking around like shaking hands with the hosts of the scholarship and I shake hands with this uh, one person and I'm saying yeah thank you so much for for this like even providing it such a cool thing to do for the students here and they say thank you so much for applying it's a shame more people didn't and I was like what does that mean like wait what does that mean and I kind of think that they had let it slip out and they caught themselves and were like oh yeah I mean no your application was great like thank you for applying you were exactly who, who we're looking to give this scholarship to but uh if I'm honest with you there were 14 scholarships and only 10 of you applied wow and I was like ah <laughs> yeah right so I'm like <sighs> so a lot of things happened at that moment and I'm like number one I only one because I applied. Uh, so that, I mean, it doesn't mean that my application was that good. It didn't mean that I was like as extraordinary maybe as I thought, like, oh, I won the scholarship. I did something right. It didn't mean that, which was, you know, number one. Number two was I did not have to write an extraordinary scholarship. Like to win this, I did not have to be uh, a perfect straight A student or have a billion extracurriculars or be this amazing, like to to be out of the ordinary to have won this. I could have been completely ordinary and won this either way and that like that dichotomy of you don't have to be extraordinary to win things oh my god that blew my mind and in that moment I remember thinking what else could I be ordinary and and do or be ordinary and and be accepted to or be ordinary and win and I mean I hope I'm extraordinary I hope I have great communication skills and writing skills and have a great story to tell but in that moment, I realized that whether I did have those or not, I just by raising my hand and just by asking and telling people what I wanted in life, I could get it. And boom, I took that and ran. I took that and ran for the rest of my life. <laughs> I have been just raising my hand and hoping for the best. And it has been surprisingly working out very well. It's so inspiring because it's like, imagine the amount of people who saw that opportunity and then thought, oh, there's no point in me applying. Like, I won't get it. Yep. You know, yeah. it's really sad to think about. It also makes me think of 
I can't remember where I read this, but that for a certain proportion of women, like a high proportion of women will look at a job description. And if there's even yep. one skill or qualification that they don't have, that they won't apply. Whereas the same is not true for men. <laughs> They'll just apply. Yeah. Anyway. Men will see one skill and be like, I'm perfect. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. exactly. Um, and it's the same job opportunity. It's just mindset, right? Totally. So absolutely. And like you said, you this kind of set you off on a on this whole course of applying to hundreds of scholarships and travel contests and you won a bunch of them and use it to travel the world can you talk a bit about how you found those opportunities and then the tactics um, that you use to make your application stand out absolutely so as far as i know that is the only i mean i literally as far as i know it could have happened many other times but that's the only one that i know of that i may have only won because i was like not enough people applied other times it was definitely much more competitive for scholarships and grants and these programs I applied to many 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 of them were no's uh like I love to preface the stories that I tell with this with that uh that I have applied to like you said 200 300 plus things just in high school and college and I'm gonna say like 90 percent of them were no's but those 10, the 10% that were yes, changed my life and helped me graduate debt-free, helped me study abroad in Dubai um, without a dollar out of my pocket, helped me meet friends that I have now, like a few years later, changed my life. So definitely worth the effort. And each no was really just practice for the next application that would be a yes, or was those two no's were practice for the program that I applied to that would change my life and, you know, take me to Dubai for a year. So that, that was like, five no's equaled one big yes, which was totally fine with me. So yeah, I started applying to a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of scholarships that same summer too. I applied for uh, scholarships for college and study abroad programs and just like internships and all those types of things throughout college. I never stopped applying to scholarships, which I think is another misconception that you have to be a freshman or, you know, before college to apply to them. I was a senior still applying for scholarships because why not? Um, And some of my favorite yeah right I'm like if there's money why (laughs) if there's money on the table I'll take it (laughs) I'll take it if we're gonna be handing out money and I really referenced that first experience first I'm like what if no one applies to this what if no one applies to this and I'm like let me just apply Um, (laughs) and I still think that now these days and so yeah some of my favorite tips and tricks for a competitive application are to save your essays that you write those stories that you tell about you know a moment that you overcame adversity or a moment that you became who you wanted to be in life or, you know, a, a moment you overcame a challenge, save those essays um, because those stories don't change. Like this Iceland story about my first solo trip doesn't change because it already happened. But I can use that story, not copy paste it, but use the lessons I learned from it and the challenges I overcame and the lessons I learned in different applications, 100%. Like, I don't have to recreate the wheel for every single application. Um, And with that, I try to kind of group the applications that I have. So if I find five things, a scholarship, a grant, two internships, and a creator program that I would apply to, I'll like scan them really quick and see what type of things they need. And if three of them need a letter of recommendation, I will reach out to someone and say like, hey, I have these three things I'm applying to. All of them are pretty similar. They all ask similar things of me could you write a letter of recommendation and could I use it for like, do you approve of me using it for these three different opportunities? And like a hundred percent of the time, the person will say yes, because they don't want to write three different letters and just change the wording barely. So I save time and I save other people's time and energy uh, doing things like that. And it helps me, you know, have a more productive rate of application. I don't have to recreate the wheel for every single thing I do. And the last thing I do is have a human being read my essays before I submit them because uh, you know things make a lot more sense that they sound like they make a lot more sense at 3 a.m when you're finishing writing that paper but once your friend or colleague reads it in the morning and they say like this is written in latin none of this is english (laughs) what are what was this and you look at it again you're like I don't think I wrote that yeah always have a human being check over it using grammarly and tools that like Word doc, spelling and error check are fantastic, but a human being needs to see it because your eyes, your eyes are not the the same eyes (laughs) after reading it 10 times. Those are very smart tips. And, you know, you're juggling a lot at this time because I imagine you're writing a lot of papers and preparing for exams for college and whatnot. So did you carve out specific times of the day that you would just dedicate to looking for these opportunities and applying for them? I am, as you kind of had noted, a 
pretty good multitasker or maybe I just maybe it's the ADHD I like to have a lot going on uh, which is exhausting and exhilarating so whenever I would sit down after school and finish my homework I would sit down and watch Netflix specifically new girls and so I would have new girls on and be looking for these like looking for these opportunities and applying and like submitting applications and re-editing essays and stuff like that so I would definitely have the tv on in the background and my friends would be like my roommate would be with her friends chatting or it would just be as life went on I would do this stuff in the background that's good that's really smart and what, are there any sites that you can remember that you use to look for these opportunities I'm just thinking from the perspective of the listener like are there where can they begin to kind of seek these out a hundred percent so I, for travel opportunities, I, like I said, have kind of a history of being able to find them through a million different ways. So I have started my own dashboard called the PTO dashboard, paid travel opportunities dashboard. So if you go to my website, paxlight.com slash PTO, I have my own resource because people always ask me this, like, where can I find them? And I'm like, okay, the specific answer is email newsletters of organizations that I have seen have done trips like the ones that I want to do and I follow their newsletter and occasionally they'll post something that is something I can apply for um, or social media pages of organizations that host scholarships or trips or things that you are interested in for Facebook groups where people share opportunities like that. There are definitely a few scholarship Facebook groups and, you know, contest Facebook groups and stuff like that. But they're, it's like you kind of have to have a little toe in every single one of them if you want to get things that match you and your situation well enough for you to apply for them. So what I've done making my dashboard is kind of take all of that work out because now I'm in this kind of, I'm in this like permanent hurricane of seeing these things all the time and accessibility to these opportunities. Like we mentioned at the beginning of this talk, like if one more person had just known about that scholarship that I had applied to, they would have been able to win it too. And that has had a huge effect on me. So making these opportunities accessible. I say I make the incredible accessible. It's huge for me. And so that's why I started the dashboard. It's free. You can just scroll through it and sort by the things that interest you. But those resources that I just listed, yeah, are great places to get started. And I mean, your friends are a great places to really get started. If you see someone do your dream trip or you see someone win a study abroad scholarship, DM them. DM them and just say, hey, <laughs> how did you find that? How did you get started? Do you have any tips for the application? People in your immediate circle are probably going to be the ones applying to things that you could apply to, right? Because you're probably in the same age group, in the same school even. Like you're probably more alike and able to apply to the similar things together. Totally. Always start with your peers first. Exactly. I want to talk a bit more about Paxlight in a moment because it is such a great resource. But first, I want to talk about what you saw yourself doing after graduation, because I did, I, I imagine that you weren't like, I'm going to start blogging and, you know, start this company <laughs> and become like an expert in all of these things. Um, so what did you imagine you were going to do? So I, throughout all of this, right, I had applied to college. I went on that Iceland trip. I won that first scholarship. Throughout all of that, I had applied to college as a biomedical engineering major and been accepted as such. So my first two years of college, I was a biomedical engineering major, hoping to make biomedical devices like prosthetic legs and prosthetic organs for veterans specifically. Uh, like I said, my dad was in the military. We grew up near a huge military hospital. So that's what I had in mind. And then I started going to classes and realized that a lot of the work done for biomedical engineering is in windowless government rooms. <laughs> and uh, you usually have to get a PhD to be able to do anything in biomedical engineering. And like many students who changed their major in college, I just realized it was not for me and just really not the lifestyle that I wanted to live. So halfway through college, I changed my major to be statistics and mathematics. And I figured I could still be an engineer with that if I wanted to, but it also would kind of free me up to do other things. Maybe I could use statistics in business if I wanted to do like international business. And so that was my thought process. When I studied abroad in Dubai, my junior slash senior year, that's when I really realized, yeah, I don't want to, uh, I actually don't want to do an office job at all. <laughs> I, I saw so many people in Dubai. That's where I first heard about remote working. That's where I first heard about digital nomadism. Um, and that's why I love to tell people a solo trip or just a trip in general could change your life because it exposes you to things that you 
may not have known about. No one was remote working in Stafford, Virginia, but people were definitely remote working in Dubai. So yeah, after that, I decided, and I, I had actually already had my platform. I had made Pax Light pretty soon after my first solo trip to Iceland, but it was just a hobby. It was just a blog that I updated every few months, just stories. The people who asked me, how did I traverse Iceland as a 17-year-old? Like, did I have to have a certain license or something to fly without my parents? I answered all those basic questions, like a frequently asked questions guide on my blog. It was not great storytelling. It was not compelling reading. It was very basic. So by the time I studied abroad, I realized I could make that more specific and more helpful and turn it into a business because I had seen creators, influencers for the first time in Dubai. And so that was what I had thought going into graduation. I was like, okay, I'm going to take my blog and my platform more seriously. I'm going to try to grow it. And hopefully in two or three years, I could quit my engineering job that I get and do this full time. And the power of having a very specific goal and, uh, you know, intention, I did exactly that. I hustled and grew my platform and learned more about monetizing my platform and started making consistent income while I was an engineer commuting like two hours a day. And on February, 2020, I quit my engineering job uh, to do it full time. That's also when the pandemic hit, but the mm. timeline was accurate still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how is that? So you're becoming a full-time content creator and, you know, all themed around travel and now suddenly can't really travel. How did you navigate that? That was definitely unexpected, but referencing back to that first solo trip, I am a problem solver, if anything, in this life. So, I mean, I had already quit my very secure engineering job, so I already felt like I was, you know, reckless. I'm like, you never know what's going to happen. I already felt like I was living on the edge. So when the pandemic hit and I was locked down in my parents' house, foreseeably for that next year, I just pivoted. I was in a state where I could definitely pivot because I didn't have I didn't have much plans anyway because I had never done this before. So I continued growing my platform. I started freelance writing more. I started talking about how like ways to travel from home in the pandemic, how to reminisce on a trip and like get the most out of it, connecting with old friends from previous trips, stuff like that. And it helped my platform stay afloat and not really just stay afloat, grow. Um, I had some pretty great press publications in that time with like the New York Times and CNN Travel. And I won an award from Lonely Planet. And yeah, it was a it was a very weirdly good time to be a travel blogger, I guess, for me, at least, because I I if I see an opportunity, I will take it. So I saw a space where companies and publications and everyone, even travel creators, all of their plans for that year had been, I mean, blown apart. So I just saw a space where the first person who speaks up with a good idea kind of can lead and innovate the space. So that's what I did. I just started pitching myself a lot to publications with ideas, how to travel from home, like I said, or um, how to do a trip in your own backyard. And it it was, it worked out. Mm. Again, another smart, smart way of navigating it. <laughs> I know your your mission with Paxlight is to empower others to seek risk, seize opportunity, skip debt and see the world as soon as possible. I'm sure, yep. as you referenced before, you've had so many people coming to you and saying, I want a life that resembles yours. <laughs> like, how do I do that? What do you tell them when they ask for your advice? I always tell them to start with where they're at. I usually tell them to start with like a self audit and see what exactly in their life they're looking to change. Is it your lifestyle? Is it your amount of income? Is it your availability to travel? Because people from a lot of different phases of life reach out to me, right? Like it could be a mom with two kids. It could be someone who's in high school about to graduate just like I was. Um, so everyone has a different journey based on where they are in life and like where they want to go. But I usually tell them to start and kind of self-reflect with what specifically you're looking to change in where specifically you want to go. And then there are so many resources that I love to share. I kind of have this life journey of opportunities, of travel opportunities that I share with people, starting with these paid travel opportunities, study abroad scholarships, grants, international internships, stuff like that. And then going into finding a job after you graduate college, like a remote job or a job that allows a lot of travel um, and helping them do that with 
good applications, right? Like good resumes, good cover letters. I help with all of that. I have an application toolkit, but I have templates for all of that type of stuff. And then going into, you know, maybe becoming a travel blogger or becoming a travel influencer because the way that I'm able to travel as much as I want to and live the life that I want to where I'm doing podcast interviews on a, a weekday afternoon instead of sitting in an office is is doing what I do, right? And it's allowed me so many more opportunities. So then I have a um, Patreon and just articles on my blog and resources and stuff for people who might be interested in making this turning a vacation into a lifestyle. So yeah, based on where they are, I have the tools to get them started. I just listened to an interview with a social scientist who studies regrets. And he said one of the biggest regrets that people have is not studying abroad while they were at college. I totally believe that because it, when we're students, I mean, either we're kind of caught up in the lifestyle of college or we're caught up in getting perfect grades and kind of being stressed, especially as a STEM student. I relate to that. So study abroad is not, I think, prioritized enough by college faculty and like career advisors and stuff like that. Like it changed my life. It could change your entire life. Everyone should, especially on scholarship, if you can do it without going into debt. Mm, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we get older, we accumulate we become more established in where we are in life, but we also accumulate those more responsibilities and it becomes so much harder for us to do things like live abroad. So I think if you can do it when you're young and do it in a, a way that's, you know, everything is structured and kind of set up for you, that makes it really easy. And it's such a fulfilling experience. It's something you should definitely pursue. A hundred percent. Like we talked about at the beginning of this chat, um, study abroad can be you doing that solo, not solo trip because it, an organization organizes it. You may have a scholarship that helps fund it. And like it's kind of you them facilitating you doing a solo trip where you meet up with a group of other study abroad people. And right, it's the less intimidating way to travel. And that's why I recommend it. But that's also why I kind of invented paid travel opportunities because they are definitely all the benefits of studying abroad. And you don't necessarily have to be a student to do them. Like I love to tell this have this comparison. So I studied abroad when I was in college. It was a study abroad scholarship. Only students could apply to it. And I did that in Dubai for a year. Fantastic. 10 out of 10 experience. Loved it. Then I was working as an engineer and I found a cultural exchange program in Korea where I could go to Korea for one week and learn Korean language and Korean culture. So that had a scholarship. I applied to it. I was awarded it. I took a week of PTO off of my engineering job and was like funded to go to Korea. Uh, with this group of other people from different countries who had won the same scholarship and explore Seoul, South Korea and learn. I can still read Korean to this day and learn language and learn culture. And I did that. And I wasn't a student. I was a recent graduate and I was in, I was an engineer, like I was working full time. And so people are often shocked at that. And then just last year, I went to a conference in Austria where it was completely funded for me to attend that. And i went around Austria for a week and all the accommodations and food and stuff was covered. So these organizations all organized it and scholarships funded it. And there are ways that I was able to see the world and I may not have otherwise at that period of time. Like I wasn't probably not going to fly to Austria by myself and explore uh, last year because I was doing other things, but these paid travel opportunities made that possible for me. And I wasn't a student to do that. So that's why I, I love sharing them because you could study abroad quote unquote even if you're not a student mm, great I love that what else are you working on right now are there any projects you want to shout out I'm actually glad you asked that I'm actually in the process of developing and hopefully next quarter sharing the first PAX Light scholarship uh, because the only thing better than applying to and experiencing these opportunities for myself is being able to share them with my community so I'm hoping to release two $2,500 um, scholarships for people to apply to, to take their first solo trip or take their dream bucket list travel experience and, you know, start making their dreams real in 2022. So I'm working on that right now. And I'm so, so, so excited to launch it because uh, I get to be on the other side and like get all the applications and read all these stories and see where all these people are at in their travel journey. And I'm, yeah, I'm so excited for that. I love that. Gabby, you've been you've been amazing and you're so inspiring. I love what you're doing with Paxlight and just your whole story is awesome. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And um, where can people find you on the internet? Yes. Uh, if you want to find me, follow along, like follow my adventures or apply to the scholarship, you can find me most active on TikTok 
and Instagram at PaxLight. That's my handle for every social media at PaxLight. I also hang out on Twitter sometimes. That's like my my wild, wild west of social media. So if I'm not professional on there, don't blame me. That's where I have fun. Um, <laughs> and I also hang out on Pinterest. So you can see all my dream travel bucket list experiences and things that I want to do on my Pinterest board. You are a busy lady. I don't know how you keep up with all. I like to have a lot going on. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how either really. Before you go, I'd love to do a quick fire round. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, what's the one thing every person should experience in their lifetime? A solo trip. Of course. Of course. If you could live <laughs> in another country, which would it be? Australia. I want to live in Sydney. Yeah. Why Sydney? Okay. This, so the same year when I graduated high school and went to college, that winter, I went to Sydney, Australia for New Year's Eve. Blew my mind. Absolutely incredible. I just have been like romanticizing it and want to go back and live there as soon as possible. What's the one thing you never travel without? A portable battery to charge my phone and my electronics. What's a podcast, book, or show you'd recommend for a long journey? Ooh. Oh, I always recommend reading um, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. It also changed my life. That's a good one. If you could teleport anywhere just for the day, where would you go and what would you do? Amazing question. I would go to visit the Northern Lights in Finland and I always say I would need to teleport there because I hate the cold and I don't actually want to spend all the time it takes to travel there and like drive and train and everything. I just want to teleport there, see the Northern Lights, do the dog sled and then teleport out. <laughs> Top tip for a first time solo traveler. Make friends in that local location. And you can do that before your trip by joining Facebook groups and online social media communities and just, you know, finding someone that lives there, especially another woman and asking her for all the things that you need to know before you go. And finally, where is next on your bucket list? Uh, this year, I am hoping to get to Greece this summer and have a Mamma Mia moment. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gabby. That was awesome. Thank you. This is super fun. Really, really great question. This is the final episode of season three of The Trip That Changed Me. If you're a regular listener, you may recall that around this time last year, I left on a four-month cross-country road trip from New York to California and back again. And while I was on that trip, I got pregnant, making it The Trip That Changed Me. I'll be taking a break to welcome my baby into the world, but the show will be back for a whole new season in the fall. In the meantime, it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review the show to help other travel lovers find us. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful summer.